You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that it's not just a stereotype that women might be pickier about what they're eating than men. 35% of women have enough taste buds to fall into the super taster category, but only about 15% of men do. And this might be one reason that there are some up and coming uh, female chefs because they might just have an unfair advantage and that they can taste things better than us guys. Although I'm pretty sure I'm one of the super tasters. We'll have to figure that one out someday. Maybe there's a quantified test for that. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest is Aryan Resnick who is a private chef, a certified nutritionist who does organic farm-to-table cuisine, which is very in line with the Bulletproof diet in that you want your food to be local and really, really fresh. And she's cooked for some, some pretty big names like Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin, Lisa Edelstein, Jeff Franklin. And you may have heard about her if you read things like InStyle or Food.com, Refinery29, Muscle Fitness. So she's kind of a well-known, like, hey, here's how you make food that tastes really good, but also makes you feel really good. 
And her first book is called The Bone Broth Miracle that's coming out this, uh, I think, late spring. Uh, it came out in May. Yes. I was going to say, wait, we're already past spring. What's going on with that? So it just came out, right? That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I've seen this book, so how could it be coming out? <laughs> uh, so... I'm a huge fan of bone broth. There's bone broth recipes in the Bulletproof Diet and in the upcoming Bulletproof Diet cookbook. So I'm, I'm a giant fan of anyone who'll write a whole book about it, which is really one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on here. So Ariane, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Now, you've also got some other areas where I think we're going to have a great conversation because you had late stage Lyme disease, you had chemical poisoning, and you've recovered from both of those. I did. I recovered from both of them holistically, and um, I had them not at the same time. Usually Lyme disease will make you susceptible to other things, so you end up with a host of things at once. And um, I actually had the Lyme disease, dealt with the Lyme disease, had about a year of beautifulness. Uh, and then got the chemical poisoning, had a year of that, got over it. And it's been um, just a little bit over two years that I've been good for since uh, and back into the culinary world as a private special diet chef and nutritionist. So there, there's this whole group of people. Uh, in fact, there's a bunch of people who have Lyme disease and toxic mold exposure. They've all seen Moldy, the mm -hmm. documentary that, that yes. I, just, I just came out with. And there's a big group of, of people who are like, you know, I wasn't getting well from drugs, so I decided that I was going to turn to food. And they, you know, they've been raw vegans. They've tried all sorts of different things, and a lot of them end up doing something like bulletproof. But the the point there is, some people become food aware because they're sick, and other people were already food aware. Mm -hmm. Which one of those are you? Um, I was something beyond food aware. I grew up in a home with a mom who um, ran a co-op out of our basement. We did not have commercial food. So she, you're, you're she like born and bred hippie. Yes. Right? She, um, she bought wheat berries to grind into flour to make bread. Um, and with the caveat of that, they haven't eaten gluten in at least 20 years. This was a very long time ago. Um, so this was my background. This was my knowledge. Um, I had some brief teenage rebellion, but beyond that, this has been my world. And when I became a chef initially at 19, I was a vegetarian chef because my parents had stopped eating meat when I was little. They've long since returned to that around the same time as kicking gluten out. And it's been my nature and it's been what I've known. And it's um, they've been very formative in my culinary career because as new ingredients would come out, my mom would call me and say things like, I've got 10 pounds of coconut flour. What do I do with it? <laughs> and I'd never heard of it because this was ages ago. And she'd send me a bag and I'd figure it out because the Internet didn't really know yet. And I've somehow managed like, to become this iconoclast food person um, really by default and with a lot of luck from um, <laughs> the family background. So when I was sick, food was a part of it for sure. But I had the foundation that I think a lot of people don't have and that they turn to. And it wasn't um, it wasn't ever an option for me when I was diagnosed with the late stage Lyme disease to go the antibiotic route. Um, I had a lot of help from my family in research and the statistics for that are really unfortunate. It's not like here, you've got this illness, take these drugs, you'll be fine. It's way more like here, you've got this illness, take these drugs and talk to you in a while and see how things are going. There's a, a surprising number of people who've been on Bulletproof Radio, like really successful people who've had Lyme disease. Uh, mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss just had <laughs> it. He didn't have the late stage stuff. He had an acute bout of it. And he's, he's still, mm -hmm. I think, dealing with uh, the neurotoxic residues of that. Mm -hmm. Then 
there's let's see Stephen Kotler was bedridden and just completely messed up this is the guy from rise of superman the guy behind the flow genome project which i'm backing about how do we unlock the state of flow um who basically used surfing to recover from lyme just kidding he, that was part of it but <laughs> i believe it what you do and what makes you happy is huge people always are so surprised by what i say emotional wellness has to do with physical wellness and with health food it, it's it's hard to separate one from the other and exactly the reason that that I think that happens is that we have this this divide between like our thinking and our feeling and food is more about feeling and less about thinking although we like to think about food a lot it's because we like to feel mm -hmm. about food right and so if you hack your food and the way you've been taught to almost since birth in order to, to create food and you write about it as like a joyful experience yes. uh, um, it changes how you feel and, and not just how you think or what you think about your food so you can be like i'm going to eat this carefully concocted uh, soylent powder because it's the most economically affordable way mm -hmm. to but there's something that doesn't happen on the feeling side when you do that. What what do you mean when you say a joyful experience? Like, like, like can you engineer the joyful experience or is this more of an art? Um, both, actually. Um, what I have found in doing special diet private shelving and in doing nutrition and wellness consulting is that we've taken on this mentality that it needs to hurt to get better yeah. and to feel better. And the idea, just like with antibiotics, I say, when people say, why didn't I go for it? I said that the idea that I could poison my way back to health didn't make a lot of sense to me. The idea that you can painfully get your way to happiness doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. So I believe that how we feel about what we eat is as important as what we eat. And that when we really get in touch with how we're feeling about things, we're gonna be naturally inclined to make better choices. And it is an art in that you have to actually kind of pause and say and feel, what does this food do for me? Where am I getting the good experience from this? Do I love this thing because it reminds me of childhood? Or does this actually give me fuel and I feel great from it? And if it gives you fuel and you feel great from it, and it's a real food, not a pretend just because you can put it in your body doesn't make it food, food um, I'm all for eating it. And I'm very opposed to the dogma of you must follow this strict thing when I'm not in your body. People are always asking me, what is the exact diet I should follow? And I had to really be gentle in how I phrase it with people because initially when I would say, well, what do your instincts tell you? I learned that no one was really listening to them. And they came to me with this idea of, I'll do any fast, I'll juice 20 times a day, like make it hurt so that I can be well. And I've discovered that the more I offer guidance of, let's talk about how you can be happy. Let's talk about the foods that bring you joy. Let's talk about how we can incorporate more good feeling things into what you're eating and how we can make you feel better about what you're eating, even if it's only thinking about, well, I'm not particularly into greens, but I know that they're going to do X, Y, and Z for me. So maybe if I think about that when I eat them, they'll taste a little different. There's so many ways to go about it to make yourself feel better in general, especially about what you eat. And the better you feel, the better you feel. So can't you sort of, of break that though? Like there are people like, oh, I train myself to not like salt and fat, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you train yourself yes, to like, like famines. This is great. Like, I've cooked for them, most definitely. Um, yes, you can train yourself to do anything in the same sense as we can adapt to anything. There are people who have survived spending their childhood in a basement that doesn't mean it was what you were meant to do. Um, you can train yourself in any way. And 
I feel that that brain power is best expended training yourself how to be happy and how to be joyful and how to be grateful for what you've got and happy with where you are and not so critical of yourself. I believe that if we make a small change, you know, you had four cups of coffee a day and now you have three and a cup of green tea and all you can focus on is, well, I need to only have two or I need to only have one, you're defeating the purpose. You succeeded. You went from four to three, pat yourself on the back, good work. I think we all need to really lighten up on ourselves in terms of that critical mindset because once we've made a little change and we've acclimated to it and it's just part of our lives, that's a huge accomplishment. Are you saying that four cups of coffee is worse than three? I'm saying that as long as your coffee is bulletproof, you can have 10,000 cups a day. I'm just, I'm totally kidding. And that is my, um, my go-to because at this point I'm so over the idea of weight loss, but it's something that people approach me about constantly. Sure. So you have been a godsend because you're I bulletproof coffee. No, I, I'm not asking for it's a plug at all. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I, I'm just teasing you because uh, some people are like, well, Dave likes coffee. Therefore more coffee is good. I'm like <laughs> I drank like a, a large cup of coffee this morning and it's probably all the coffee I'm going to have today. Like I don't, do like the constant thing I used to do, which was like five or eight cups a day. Cause I had to, cause it was drink, crash, drink, crash. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people, three cups a day is great. Some people one a day is great. And for a few people who are genetically inferior, no coffee is the right choice for them, but they're, they're weak people and we should make fun of them. So, yes, I actually, <laughs> I give them different tonic herbs to make bulletproof drinks out of. Um, because it's a way that I think when you start the morning like that, it just, it gets you on the right track. So I have different tonic herbs that I use with people from, um, longevity power. We do that in, uh, at the Bulletproof coffee shop. We actually have four stack upgrades that go in Bulletproof coffee with or without the coffee where we're using medicinal mushrooms and and things like Mm -hmm. that, adaptogenic herbs and some, that's exactly what I do. Some fat burning kind of stuff. And it, it, in fact, we're opening as we're recording this, I think we're recording this probably two days before we open the doors of the, of the shop. So by the time it hits the air, the Bulletproof Coffee Shop should be awesome. open, which is like a giant thing. We've been waiting for months to get all of our final approvals. So it, it's kind of cool. Congratulations. I've been waiting. Uh, me too. I'm near. So <laughs> yeah, you've probably been waiting a little, a little more bated breath than I have, yeah. but I haven't deep been waiting. So I look forward to seeing you there and I want you to try our bone broth and see if it meets your, your approval. Um, speaking of bone broth, though, uh, one of the reasons yes. uh, that I came across your work was that uh, my wife, Dr. Lana, does uh, mm-hmm. fertility coaching sessions um, over uh, basically over Skype. But she does these like for global kind of celebrity client types of people. And you guys had uh, a client in common and you made bone broth uh, for the client. Um, and it, it was a major, major factor just getting bone broth into her and, uh, it was a, a successful outcome. So that, that's really, that's really cool. And, um, Lana was like, you need to look at this stuff, which is, which was the connection. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. She approached me in January, uh, the client, not your wife, um, and said, I've been doing in vitro for almost two years now, unsuccessfully round after round. I found out why it's not working. I have these health issues and I need you to get me pregnant. And, you know, I don't really do anything in life that's easy. It's just kind of how I work. Like, let's really just, let's just tackle it. Whatever it is, like, make it more complicated, make it more difficult, make it more of a challenge. And I'm so extra there. So I was like, yeah, of course, we're going to get you pregnant. No problem. Um, And I truly believed it. And she truly believed it. And um, 
one by one, the health issues got under control and I worked with um, the fertility as it was happening with the in vitro. So using foods that stimulated the right hormones at the right times and making sure to not have foods that didn't, that stimulated the wrong hormones um, in conjunction with what she was using. And yeah, mama's halfway to term with twins. It's, it's so cool. I, I think, uh, and Lana was looking at some of the labs along the way and, and there's definitely uh, a good collaboration there. And it's, uh, it, it's really neat because IVF jacks up your hormones and, and people don't mm -hmm. talk about that. Like you can get pregnant with IVF, but it can break you in the process. Yeah. It's really biologically stressful. So having supportive yes. foods there for you, having things like bone broth, having the right supplements and eating things that are less inflammatory because there are times of your cycle or your artificially induced cycle where you're going to have even more prostaglandins floating around yes. and, and you're going to, you're going to not like your life if, if you go through the hormone course that's required for IVF. You won't like it at least for a portion of the IVF time. It is uncomfortable. Yes. And anyone who's done IVF will tell you that. But the problem is you do it over and over. You're like beating on your hormones. But if you're not even getting pregnant, then what do you do? Well, you, you turn to these you know, alternative people who are having amazing results and using things like, oh, my God, food. Like, oh, my like animals that eat healthy food are easier to get pregnant. Ranchers will tell you this. And humans are kind of mm -hmm. the same way. It's almost like we're animals too at some level. Who would have thought, right? Love it. So yeah, it was an incredible experience. Um, I cooked for her three times a week and did oh, a lot so of nutrition cool. counseling. And um, it went incredibly well all the way through the process where it was easy to stay confident because, um, you know, the eggs were the best eggs ever. And then the zygotes were the best little zygotes ever. And then... I think um, a lot of, as you mentioned, a belief is so important. And I think that going into a situation and saying like, yeah, I can get you pregnant, no problem. And actually feeling that and thinking that and transferring that to someone else so that they're like, oh yeah, this girl's gonna do it for me. Obviously it wasn't 100% of what worked, but it played a huge part in it. And I, I definitely, I got a lot of credit for it from the family, which is really, which was really wonderful. Do you ever feel weird when, when you get an email that's like, hey, you got my wife pregnant? I, you know, there have been there were so many discussions about like how does he feel about me being the baby daddy and all of that. And um, I'm gay, so I'm super comfortable with that sort of thing. Awesome. Um, and if I ever were going to be involved in a pregnancy, there's no way that would be springing forth from my body. Um, much as I love being a woman, it's not for me. I'm not I'm not a kid person, but um, I did get invested in in those children who are on their way. It, it, there's something really magical about knowing that you helped you, you helped there. And, and I, I've received some emails like that, literally without mm -hmm. telling Dave, you got my wife pregnant. And I'm like, I <laughs> might be a little bit more like at, yeah. as a suspect, maybe just a little, yes. little slightly, slightly different response. <laughs> Indeed. And, yeah. And, it was... and they're like, oh yeah. Like, you know, the better baby book uh, that really mm -hmm. helped. And I just want to say thanks. But yeah, you feel kind of like a connection when you know that you like you, you made a difference for uh, for a little life coming into it. And you made a big difference because you were cooking three times a week, which is yeah. a lot of nutrition. And the bone broth, the bone broth was a huge part. And it was, um, it was such beautiful timing. That was so, um, it couldn't have been planned. When I was approached by a publisher to do the book, they had actually already given it a title of the bone broth miracle. And I am a huge proponent of it and I love it. And I was already using it with people, but I was still like miracle. Like, really? Um, it sounded a little hokey to me. And then without knowing what the title was, when my client got pregnant, she said, these are the bone broth miracle babies. And I was like, oh, I can totally call it that. It works. Yeah, that, that's a reasonable title. <laughs> it was it.
It was, um, it was the most, you know, definitive, tangible work that I've done with bone broth uh, up to this point. Um, healing people's digestion is just as important, but having those little bodies that didn't exist before, it's like a step up. Now, do you consider drinking bone broth to be vegetarian? No, I do not. And I have not called myself a vegetarian in years due to the complex nature of my work that involves my tasting meat. And um, I'd been doing things that were outside of vegetarian or pescatarian, which I went back and forth between for nearly 30 years. Um, like when you came out with the collagen, I began adding that to my bulletproof um, morning drink of either coffee or herbs. And I discovered within like less than a week, um, I'm always burning myself. Like I've always, I've always got burns. Oh, wow. Um, and they heal so fast. That's interesting. They're like, they're like there and they're a blister the next day and they pop and three days later they're gone. Like this is just a few days ago and it's just a scab. Um, and it really struck me. And I was like, there's really something to this because I had gone very far actually for a long time in the plant-based world. Um, I had a brand of raw vegan snack foods oh, wow. that was the best-selling kale chips in Whole Foods Southern Pacific region for years. And I was raw, but I wasn't vegan, but I still didn't. I mean, I did raw dairy and eggs, but that was basically it. So I'd really gone to the other extreme of being a proponent of plant-based foods. And I don't even know why I tried the collagen, but yeah. it just sounded like, oh, maybe this will help. And it really got me thinking. And then as clients began requesting bone broth, um, and I was already beginning to taste meat. Really, when you're a special diet chef and people are like, no gluten, no soy, no dairy, no carbs, no soy, no salt, no, you know, all these things, they do tend to eat meat. So I had already grappled with calling myself a vegetarian because I was tasting meat on a regular basis. And I do make foods that I don't taste because there's no need, like lamb chops and pork chops. I have never tasted no idea. Um, I have, thank heavens, a talent and I know how to season and I know how to flavor and people say they're great and that's all that matters. Um, but everything else, you know, if you make soups or stews or anything like their salads, like you have to taste the food. So I'd already moved away from calling myself a vegetarian. And then um, once I saw what bone broth was doing for people, for my clients specifically, um, it's like, eh, I should try that. And what ended up happening was that I'd had um, some residual digestive issues from Lyme disease that had never gone away where I'm great, I'm fine, but I took digestive aids with every meal because otherwise I'd get bloated. And it wasn't a problem. I mean, with some pills, no big deal, take some essential oils, take a couple like super digestive aids, no big thing. Um, and a couple months on bone broth and suddenly I didn't need them anymore. Whatever had been left of damage from Lyme like five years ago, it just went in and it sealed up the holes and I haven't taken digestive aids in like six months now. So what digestive aids were you using? Um, mostly I used essential oils. Okay. Um, there's something that I really love because they are so, um, they're like mixology. <laughs> that, that's actually a really good, a really good analogy. Essential oils are like that. So I'm guessing like you know? oregano and things like that. Exactly. Um, and I used them. I bought them initially to start making my own body care products because um, when you've maxed out on all the foods you can make, you start moving into the commercial world and you're like, what can I replace today with something I can make myself? Um, so I already had a lot of them on hand and began taking like fennel and bitter orange and rosemary and clove and oregano and that sort of thing. And they helped way more than um, digestive aid pills ever had that were like, uh, you know, HCL or pancreatic enzyme or anything like that. 
but it's still nice to not need anything. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a cool thing. And I, I don't need anything to digest even a high fat meal anymore. And mm -hmm. I, I don't think I mentioned it before, but I had chronic Lyme for a long time and, and it's gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still take betaine HCL because like, there's there's great evidence for it. But if I don't take it, mm -hmm. it's it doesn't affect my digestion at all. Whereas before, if I didn't have like six grams of betaine with, with a meal, oh, huge. I, I, I like couldn't digest it. Mm -hmm. So it, it's then again, maybe I was drinking way too much alkaline water back then. So that was many years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird how people don't know not to have that with meals, especially. Yeah, so all the time you're on board with not having alkaline water with meals. Uh, it's, someone was actually well, like, "Oh, look at the pH difference. It's logarithmic, so it doesn't make a difference." I'm like, well, if it doesn't make a difference, then don't drink it. But my experience is that, like, when I drink alkaline water with the meal, I can still identify the meal when I'm done with it, and that's gross, and like, it's not okay. So <laughs> yes, um, I actually I learned the hard way about when actually visiting my parents because they were drinking it all the time, and they have a tap of it. And I would go there and my digestion was just lousy yeah. and I didn't know why. So it, um, I think like once a day, that's great. Like do something alkalizing for sure. Water is a great, easy way to do that. But yeah, it makes no sense to <laughs> take this acidic environment that has to be acidic in order for your food to break down and alkalize it. And, and we have this amazing alkaline water maker. It's called baking soda. <laughs> it's alkaline. Just sprinkle that in there. Right there, it's alkaline. So, I think there's a bit of, of uh, there's there's definitely some science in it, and there's a time of day and a, a type of constitution, and it's way more complex than alkaline is good, acid is bad, which is like yes. you know, fat is bad, sugar is good, or whatever. Like it's just so simplified, it doesn't mean anything. Exactly, and that's one thing that's what's huge with clientele is they're like, my pH won't become alkaline. I can't get it there. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, find me someone who who does, who has it there. And if you get all alkaline the time. pH in the morning, uh, there's a, there's a name for that. It's called tired. <laughs> like exactly. you, you need some acid in the morning. It's okay. Yes. And that's one reason that coffee works really well. If you have a hard time waking up, you drink coffee, you get an acid spike. Oh my God, for the coffee. But then it becomes alkaline over time because of the nature of the minerals that are in properly made coffee. So, okay, was it acid or alkaline? I don't know. How, how long well, after you drink you know, it? Right. When people ask, you know, what do I do for heartburn? And the first thing I say is take lemon juice. And they're like, no, lemon juice is an acid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it acts alkaline within you. And then that's where you have to try to speak as scientifically perfectly as you can while being like, just take some lemon juice. It'll work. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, be a biohacker experiment. If it doesn't work, you'll have heartburn, which you already have. If it works, <laughs> then you can stop. Right. Like the risk is low from lemon juice. I'm yes. just saying. Or you could take exactly. one of these acid blocking pharmaceutical substances with and weird binders from genetically modified whatevers. Maybe the risk of that versus lemon juice is different. I, I don't know. <laughs> it could be. It could be. There could be a lifetime of, of all sorts of different things where you're like, and now I don't digest anything anymore whatsoever. Yeah. Because I've been taking these pills. Do you think the pills have anything to do with it? <laughs> they might. It's, they just might. It depends if you're a shareholder in the company making the pills, in which case they absolutely yes. have nothing to do with it. But otherwise, probably. Um, it's it's so kind of just broken. Well, let's not talk about broken. Let's talk about fixed. Why is bone broth doing this, these things? Because you've done a lot of, of reading on it. Um, 
and a lot of research on it. And writing. <laughs> yeah, and writing. But, like, in order to write a book, you have to read, like, hundreds and hundreds of, of studies and, like, collect information and experiment. Like, like creating a book is... The, the book is like the tip of the iceberg, but the amount of knowledge that you don't see under underwater there is just enormous in order to create a quality book uh, like like yours. So, thank you. Can you sort of walk people listening through what what's so special about bone broth anyway? Sure. So, um, really, there are so many wonderful aspects of taking supplements, but I believe that whenever possible, what you can get from food, you should. And bone broth is a really, really easy way to get really good stuff out of food with no effort. And I also believe that the easier things are, the more likely people are going to be to actually do them. And the better they taste, the more people are likely to do them and stick with doing them. So bone broth is super simple in just being, you know, bones and water, preferably some salt, some cider vinegar or other acid to help with uh, pulling the minerals out. But um, it's incredibly bioavailable, just like the minerals and nutrients in juice when you juice are bioavailable only because you're not juicing a carb there's no blood sugar issues from it at all um the gelatin and the collagen of course uh go in and heal the gut they do remarkable work for the skin the nails the hair joints ligaments all of that um it's very bioavailable for the minerals and the nutrients that are in it and then depending on what um animal you're making it out of it has some unique properties so grass-fed beef or lamb will have a lot of CLA and ALA, whereas chicken will not have so much of that, but it will have all the wonderful immune factors that have given the concept of chicken soup as an immune remedy um, what it is. It is there for a reason, and it's been working for thousands of years for a reason. And that's one of the things that I love the most about bone broth is that we've been doing it since we've been people, since we've been eating meat, we've been boiling the bones. And it is to me a simple, simple way to honor the process. We're so removed in our commercial world from where our food comes from. If we are not fortunate enough to live on a farm and we just don't tend to pay too much attention to the fact that everything, whether it's animal or vegetable or you know something from a box, it all began and came from somewhere. We are so used to ready packaged and ready made that we just don't stop and think about, you know, where did this begin? And bone broth to me is such a sign of respect and an homage to where we came from, where this came from. We are using the parts of the animal that no one was going to bother with. And we are going to get from it this incredibly sustainable, nourishing, energizing food out of what would have otherwise been thrown away. I mean, before Whole Foods was selling beef marrow bones for $6.99 a pound, (laughs) they just gave them to you because no one wanted them. And I love that about it. I love that it doesn't take killing an animal to get the bones. You're killing the animal anyway. You're using the meat. Why not use all of it? It's such a symbol of respect. And you're ingesting that energy. You're ingesting that level of respect. And anytime you have food that's a liquid, you don't have to really do any work. You know, when you eat solid foods, you're going to chew them in your mouth and you're going to break them down well or not, depending on how good of a chewing person you are. Some people spend a lot more time eating than other people who are like shovelers. Um, and then it's on your gut to do the rest of that work. The whole process from stomach all the way to intestines, it's it's making the effort and it's trying and it's going to do what it can. But whenever you've got a liquid, it's just going to slide right on through and your body's going to take from it what it can. And that's that. There's no work. So 
it's something that to me is so comforting and warm and soothing and nice while at the same time providing these nutrients that we just weren't getting as people in general right now. It's kind of interesting what, what happens when people start getting the mineral side of bone broth. And there's a whole set of benefits there. And then you flip over to the proteins and you get the collagen, which, which has yes. such an impact. And what we're doing in the Bulletproof Coffee Shop is, is we're doing an upgraded bone broth where we make a bone broth and we actually add upgraded collagen into it so that you're getting more collagen than, than could naturally mm -hmm. occur in a, in a normal bone broth because that collagen is, is one of the healing aspects of bone broth. Yeah. Right. And when you look at what happens electrically in the body, when your body forms its own healthy collagen, the lining of the gut, your bone matrix, your hair, mm -hmm. skin, nails, like you, you know all the stuff, um, it's, uh, it, it requires collagen. And when you have healthy collagen, what a lot of people don't talk about is that collagen is what holds water in your tissues. So if you wanna have like healthy looking skin, it's not just that the collagen uh, is there to make healthy skin fibers, it's that it holds water to keep your whole body hydrated. And that when you get water into your cells, you can then carry electrons across your cells. And we used to think that didn't matter, at least in the West we didn't, but mm -hmm. there's this little acupuncture thing that's been around <laughs> for thousands of years where they kept saying, no, it actually does matter. And then now that we have better science measuring instruments, we can measure electron flow through the skin and there are pathways. So in order to make the electrons flow, you've got to have water, which means you've got to have collagen that your body forms because you ate the right stuff. So you look at that complex system, and what did what did you do to do it? You boiled some bones, and yeah. you drank the water. And I have a yeah. There's there's been this huge um, outcry from chefs about it, where I actually take the opposite road from what most people do, and it, um, I'm in a couple different like Facebook chef groups where the more articles that came out about bone broth and it was really funny because i was in a number of them um the more people were posting like this is nonsense this is stock this is real stock um and a lot of chefs who i knew weren't realizing that that used to be stock <laughs> we used to spend 48 hours yeah. boiling our bones at the restaurant but name me a restaurant now that does that it's either canned if you're lucky which is canned msg if or more lucky. likely dehydrated msg exactly yeah. powder added yeah, and so it is. It's super simple. And yes, um, I think it's beautiful the way that science is backing up all of these things that were otherwise considered hokey, like chicken soup for immunity. You know, it's um, there's so many things. Same as like meditation actually changes your brain. What do you know? Yeah. We've all been walking around being like, I'm a different person than I was before I did this. And, and also, I, I hate to say it. And so there's there's some chefs saying you know, 40 years ago, this was stock. Um, there are vanishingly few chefs who pay attention to what the food does for their clients. What most chefs are looking at is how does it taste and do people want to eat more of it? Because that means it tasted good, which means they mm -hmm. unconsciously make food that induces food cravings. So you'll eat more of it, which demonstrates that you liked it, which means that they're good people. That's also the reason that the stereotypical yes. chef is fat. Okay, so, and I've yikes. gotten so much flack for that one. <laughs> I actually I have a big sign that says "Never trust a skinny cook" just because it's hilarious. Um, but I love that when people are like, "Oh, never trust a skinny chef," and I'm like, "Wouldn't that be the person you can trust the most?" 
Yeah. When you want the girl feeding you to look like someone whose body you wouldn't be that upset to have. You want a chef who looks like a great golden god or goddess. Like, like that's what you're looking for. Someone who's like radiating health from every pore and knows exactly what that food is going to do for how you feel and how you function. Oh, yeah, and it should taste good. But what mm -hmm. it does for your performance matters way more than what it does for your taste buds. But if you can't do both, like you're never good at your art. That, that's why I'm opening the Bulletproof Coffee Shop. It's like, I'm tired of, oh, it's cheap or it tastes good. Those are not the only things that matter. And then the, it's good for you, but it's actually not good for you because we got the science wrong. That's a big problem. Uh, mm -hmm. Where Let's make some low-fat, like high-fructose corn syrup thing and say it's good for you or a diet soda. Or let's right? make it out of tapioca starch and call it paleo. Oh, wait. You mean I can't just eat, like, masses of starch and be paleo? Oh, my goodness. How did this happen? Wait, what, like if, that is, um, what if it's resistant? Isn't that okay? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like with the rice and the coconut oil. But beans are resistant starch. I can have all the beans I want. I want. No. <laughs> Enjoy. Enjoy. Knock yourself out with that one. Are you familiar with the concept of collagen as animal starch? Have you heard of that? I have. I have. I don't know too much about it, though. So, so collagen is one of the ways that animals store starch. This is not glycogen. Mm -hmm. This is not the way we store sugar. But yeah. guess what ferments in the gut like a starch that comes from animals? It's collagen. So collagen actually goes to a butyric acid through fermentation almost as well as resistant starch, but it comes from animals and it's a protein. So if you eat collagen regularly because you're using bone broth, let's say, mm -hmm. then that means that the bacteria in your gut can actually convert that over into the same things that, that you would get from, say, eating cooked and cooled rice or something like that. I'm a fan That's of cooked and cooled rice. I don't <laughs> mind using moderate carbs, certainly not high carbs and you want to be in cyclical ketosis but if you wanted to be in ketosis and you had some collagen you can still use the collagen like it, it's kind of a good deal that's interesting that was one thing that was writing the book i was like who knew there are so many different types of this stuff it's um it was a really fascinating experience and it definitely i mean i'd already lost all credibility with the vegetarians ages ago all the people who liked me initially for the kale chips were they were <laughs> out the window once i started cooking the meat for the famous people um <laughs> But I wasn't, you know, I was still like, well, I cook this, but I don't eat it. And I had this level of um, superiority, I would say, about that for a long time. And the more I researched and the more I got into it, the more I was like, what am I doing to myself? Even when I did the nutritionist course and I learned all about amino acids. And I was like, dear God, I haven't had some of these in seriously almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. What is happening here? So I pounded like a bottle of amino acids and I didn't feel any different. And I was like, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's going to cut it. And it's actually been something that I've been, um, it's been very personal and strangely spiritual work for me to work on consuming small amounts of actual animal flesh that I didn't used to because I've learned to listen to different parts of myself. And there's this huge part of me that began, you know, when my parents stopped eating it when I was seven or eight, that was like, we don't want to hurt the animals. And it's a very valuable part of self. But then the more I've listened to, okay, what does my body actually want? What would nourish me and sustain me right now better than anything else would? And like, it wouldn't even take much of it. And once I started doing that, like I've never been a cooked fish person. I could handle cooked crustaceans, but if it was fish, it needed to be sushi because the chewing just, I couldn't handle it. And suddenly I want to cook fish, like just wild 
didn't matter if it was medium rare or like charred to death. I just wanted cooked fish. And I've been on this enormous kick of it where like everywhere I go and every time I grill, cause I moved and I have this beautiful roof. So I grill with my girlfriend and our friends and um, everyone's like, I'm like, Oh, I'll make you meat. And like, I just get like, I ate two fish entire fish over 4th of July weekend. And everyone's like, but you don't even like that. And I'm like, no, you know, I really don't, but this is what I need right now. And I enjoy it so much because I'm listening to somewhere really far inside telling me to eat it. And that's just what I feel people should do in general. It's just, it's not the easiest place to get to because we have all these thoughts and all these emotions guarding us from our actual instincts and our actual more animal self. And, you know, we're in this world where we're technologyed up all over the place, but it doesn't need to be in your food. It's also a bit weird because it's entirely possible that people who are, are choosing, say, that, that vegetarian side of things like, I can't send the thought of eating flesh. Well, if you eat industrial meat, it, I don't feel good when I eat that stuff. Like, I, I, don't, I haven't had it in, in like 10 years, uh, at least not on purpose. There's one or two times where mm-hmm. someone said it was grass-fed and it wasn't, and you're like, this doesn't feel right uh, mm-hmm. when you eat it. But it, it comes down to... Assuming that all meat is all meat, it's just not like that. And um, yeah, not at all. I'm actually featuring then, at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop. We're featuring meat from different ranches, like where we actually awesome. talk to the ranchers, just like wines. Well, this wine's different than this wine. Well, I can tell you, this steak is different than this steak. They have different mm-hmm. species of animals, different feed, different uh, animal husbandry techniques. So to say, like, I don't eat. I don't eat animal protein or I don't eat plant protein. Well, like my favorite animal protein is, is spider venom because it kills you. And my favorite plant protein is ricin, the nerve gas. Okay. So like, it doesn't matter if it's animal or plant-based, how, what does it do for you? What did it do to the environment and its production? And and there's a pretty good case for these grass fed animals. Yes. Yeah. My views have evolved dramatically and I love that. I love not being static in general in life. Uh, Ariane, you're, you're not alone there, though. I, I gave a talk for the second year in a row at David Wolf's uh, Longevity Now conference, which is a really mm-hmm. good conference. And David's uh, uh, primarily raw, and his his crowd is like you know, 1,500 people there who are, are as into food quality as you are or as I am. Uh, and it, it's a, David's a guy I really respect. And uh, I went on stage, and I'm like, look, I, I eat meat. You know, hope, hope that's okay with you guys. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, just let me do a poll. How many of you are, are vegan? And a third of the audience. How many of you would say that you're, you know, paleo? More paleo hands went up than vegan hands. And there's how many of you are bulletproof? And like everyone, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty popular mm-hmm. when I said bulletproof. But, but the important thing, though, and I think for the first time ever at that conference, was that so many of these people who are focused on what is this food doing for me? How do I get more life out of my food? That they were mm-hmm. acknowledging that they weren't going to eat industrial foods. There was actually a round yeah. of applause when I said I haven't touched an industrial animal for 10 years. But yeah. like, I don't eat that. I'd rather be vegetarian for any number of meals than eat crappy meat because it's, it's not okay for ethically. It's not okay from a health perspective. Like There is not a benefit to it. So, But... To see a crowd shifting, we're like, okay, we're going to incorporate this, but only selectively, and we're going to look at quality. So it's not about meat versus mm-hmm. uh, versus vegetables. Well, you're not going to eat the genetically modified Roundup sprayed vegetables, and you're not going to eat the mistreated animals. 
Okay, so we took quality and exactly. made that more important than animal versus uh, versus vegetable, and, and so that's a shift happening everywhere. And I think it's cool because it it pulls together that that idea that oh, I'm vegan and I really care about the earth, and oh, I'm not vegan and I really care about the earth, but we have so much in common that the fact that I'm <laughs> eating a steak and you're eating some other weird thing uh, isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, it's really that. Um with David Wolf and that community and like Django Vitalis and the rewilding, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating movement. And it was funny because I was very raw when they were all very raw years ago. And <laughs> it began with the, um, the tonic herbs, the ant extract and the deer antler and those things, just these like tiny little bottles of small doses of things where they were like, maybe there's something to this. And people began coming out with the, you know, like survival and all these different, um, really strange, like the ant extract, um, really strange different herbs that were animal-based. And most of those people at the time, I think, still weren't eating the animal products, but they were beginning to consume them medicinally. And when they did that and they experienced like, wow, I mean like that deer antler extract. And I'm like, like deer are my spirit animal. I've never eaten venison, nothing to do with any of it. And I was drawn to the deer antler extract back then based on what I read about it. And they said, you know, it's harvested humanely. It's like drinking milk. It's not going to kill them. They, these antlers will grow back. No one's dying. Everything's okay. And that was some really powerful stuff. And I love how that movement kind of began with the most medicinal uses of the animal products and then moved outward where, um, there are definitely a number of people I know, the supplement, the Toniger brand that I love, Longevity Power, um, their founder was very vegan and yoga and all of that for years. And I love his Facebook because we're friends and seeing people's response to his monster vats of tallow <laughs> that he makes now and uses with everything because he has all these people who have joined this movement with him. And then he has all these people who knew him as a vegan and still are very much in that mindset and are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, and it's just the whole thing. I love the evolution of it. And I love the idea that none of us are better than what we know right now. There's always more to know and we can always change. And there's so much, you know, we spend a lot of our youth, I think, knowing everything and being really set that we know everything. That's totally and true. And I love losing that. I love how, you know, as we all get older, we've we've dropped that and we're like, hey, you know, tell me what else. Show me a new study. Let me know what I can change about how I feel now. I love that. I find it incredibly gratifying to not know all that much. <laughs> there are three things in uh, kind of in your story that I think uh, people listening right now or watching us on, on YouTube uh, that they're going to want to know about from you. So one of them is the kind of the, the short version. What did you do for Lyme disease? I get this question all the time because people sure. know I've, I've healed my Lyme and there's, there's such interest in this. What was your basically Give me the recipe for, for fixing Lyme the way you had it. Sure. So um, I have a blog that details absolutely everything that I did on my website, which is ariancooks.com, A-R-I-A-N-E-C-O-O-K-S.com. And it goes through all the supplements and everything that I took. But the short of it is I used a Rife machine, R-I-F-E. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a Rife um, machine years ago for Lyme. 
um, a GB4000, and that was actually um, because I did a couple different YouTube interviews where I said that it came up in YouTube searches. And now if you Google like Lyme disease chef, I'm the top results. If you Google like GB4000 success stories, I'm the top results. And all these people have found me saying, I got one of these, what do I do with it? And I didn't come up with the protocol myself. Um, I initially got it through the people I bought it from. And in using it in a very gentle way with a lot of focus on detox, not like trying to just kill the hell out of the illness, but working with your body to kill it slowly, to detox very, very, very thoroughly in between killing. It literally, I had Lyme disease for two years undiagnosed. Um, I was only sick for about a year, year and a half of that, running around going like, something's wrong, something's very wrong. I was eating raw habaneros because I knew there was something bad in my blood and habaneros are blood purifiers. And I was like, there's something in me and it's gotta get out. Um, and obviously nothing worked. Um, once I got the Lyme diagnosis, I did um, initially the Cowden protocol, herbal antibiotics for about a month. And they gave me fibromyalgia so bad that I could no longer walk, which was a real delight. Um, I went and saw my parents um, with a nice little wheelchair through the airport. And um, the Rife machine got me able to walk again, just using the detox settings and then using it for Lyme. It was three months, September to December of 2010 to get rid of the Lyme. I have been 100% free of it ever since. And people always say, well, how do you know it won't come back? And I'm pretty confident because that whole chemical poisoning situation left me as immunocompromised, I think, as a person could be. And no Lyme symptoms ever returned. So... so for people who haven't heard of the Rife machine, Royal Rife was a contemporary of Nikolai Tesla. And Rife, in fact, Tesla got some of his ideas from Rife, uh, to be honest, <laughs> and uh, probably vice versa for all we know. Uh, back then, that's kind of how things rolled. In fact, it's still kind of how things rolled. Uh, you'd be mm -hmm. amazed how many people invented Bulletproof Coffee post, like after I did, they retroactively invented it. It's kind of funny. Uh, but it, it's that idea, like, like an idea emerges. Uh, there's even papers about ideas like this uh, emerging in multiple places in the world at the same time, which is something wrong with our patent system. But in any case, with Royal Rife and Tesla, Tesla was doing these weird vibrational platforms, kind of like the Bulletproof vibe. And so was Rife. But Rife was looking at... Um, in a very, very high-powered uh, live cell microscope, he was looking at what frequencies he was trying to use to illuminate things like viruses would actually kill the viruses. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a, a radio frequency type Rife devices, there's uh, Rife devices you touch, they run many different frequencies through your body. It's highly alternative. And yes. I can tell you for a fact that there is merit to these things, that, that there is a biological effect, but um, I, I also think that sometimes we don't know what frequencies do what all the way in, in the way it's used in, from a modern perspective. The reason I'm certain that it does something is uh, I was in a room once with my radio frequency rife machine. It, it affects about a 50-foot radius, and it has like a glowing neon gas the MOPA. tube. Yeah, this, this one was, was going back more than, a, more than a decade. It was based on a really powerful CB amplifier. And Well... There was a person in the room with me, uh, about 10 feet away, who had herpes lesions inside her sinuses. And that's really a painful condition. And I didn't tell her even that I was doing anything with the machine, but I put in the right frequency for, for herpes. 
and turned it on. Within a second, she screamed, grabbed her face and said, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, like, turn it off. I like like so there's no randomness to that. Like I specifically put in the frequency for that and it affected that region. And so. That said, I eventually traded my rifle machine for an infrared sauna because I couldn't find the right frequencies to, to kill whatever I had. Uh, and that's the, the risk of it. But um, you're not the first person who's used Rife for that. Uh, I used not Ozone a- for it as well, but Rife was a big part of your, of your thing. And I think most people listening have never heard of Rife technology. So that's just an yeah. overview for them. Yeah, it's, um, it exists in this very strange gray area between crazy hippie nonsense and quantum physics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, what I always equate it to is we have no question in our minds and we take it without any skepticism that quartz crystals make timepieces run more smoothly because of their vibration. Everything's got one. Including, including, including avocados, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just there's, a, there's his magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that, that you and I would, would count avocados very highly on our list of They're amazing favorites. They're my all-time favorite. Of all the things to have been misquoted about when doing Chopped and being made into an insane per- insane person um, that I healed with avocados and camel milk, I was like, that could be worse. They could have said worse. Yep. That I've never seen salami, that was, that could have been better. That you've never seen salami? Made, like you've never touched yeah, it? Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they edited me into saying I'd never seen salami because we had this brick of salami to work with. It was a block, like the square block. And I'd never seen a square block of salami. And so what I said was, I've never seen a square block of salami. And they edited me into saying, I've never seen salami. Because they made me, I mean, they made me vegan. Like they edited me into saying my diet is vegan, which like, I would never say my diet is anything because that just sounds so pretentious. Oh my Um, goodness. It was, it was an amazing experience. I'm, I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad that I got that taste of America in a small dose before I began getting it in larger (laughs) doses. All right, so so we, we tackled your Lyme disease story, and, and you used a biohacking technology for sure. And, and there's a lot of frequency work to be done on the human body. There's there's all sorts of crazy inventors I know because I've talked to half of them. <laughs> and uh, they, they seek me out and share their tech with me. And, and sometimes it's very palpable. Like you can feel that, okay, something's going on. It may not work exactly the way we think it works because there's a lot of science, like raw science that doesn't sell drugs that, that I believe needs to be done around some of these things. But yes. uh, at this point, I have no question in my mind that radio frequencies can and do have an impact on the human body that is not so radio frequencies and direct electrical uh, frequencies can have an effect on the body that is not just a heating effect like there's something else going on there and there's lots of questions about what it is so next up you and this is actually a warning against nightshade vegetables because you burned yourself with eggplant therefore nightshades are dangerous i mean we, we proved it right there right Okay. How did you, how did you fix a burn really quickly? <laughs> um, I use, I love that. They were little babies and I put them in the oven and they were so adorable. And I took them out of the oven and they went. Oh, exploding and eggplants. Exploded. You, you didn't stab and them exploded, first. You have to stab like, the, I, the still, I still have, it's like a year later. I still have scars. Um, they exploded all over me. Um, I took calendula and aloe vera as a base and I added a couple different essential oils to it, lavender and chamomile and tea tree. The tea tree is a disinfectant and the lavender and chamomile soothe the burn and get rid of the pain. And I had, um, I had monster burns. Like they were like huge blister, like from my fingertip into my armpit. Um, and within an hour I was okay. And within a week they were gone. Still scars, 
totally still scars, but um, yeah, I love making body care products. I find it a very exhilarating, free feeling thing to create. What we put on our body is just as important as we put in our body. And I spent a long time just blindly trusting these commercial products, you know, have nothing but my best interest in mind. Um, and then one day it was like Tom's or Jason toothpaste that I picked up and I was like, you know, there are totally things in this that I wouldn't eat and I'm putting it in my mouth. That's pretty strange. I wonder how to make toothpaste. And um, peroxide was the only ingredient that I didn't have in the house at the time. And I got that and it's been a couple of years and I've been making it ever since. There are lots of commercial things that I use. I'm still 100% a member of society. Um, I don't make my own makeup because coconut oil and charcoal, um, it, it's really messy and it's really disgusting, conversely to what the blogs will tell you. Um, but everywhere that I can make my own stuff, Wait, uh, I do it. And charcoal for makeup, you're saying? Or? For black eyeliner. There oh. are so many blogs <laughs> that will tell you that eyeliner and mascara can be made from coconut oil and charcoal. You just mix them into a paste, and um, you should see yourself I have after to a try this with because uh, with, I, I make the... Um, the upgraded coconut charcoal, which is a finer <laughs> powder than, than normal activated charcoal. But I'll have to try it next time I need some eyeliner. Oh, wait. I, yes. I guess I have to worry about that. But maybe uh, maybe one of the bulletproof people, maybe Jackie, our producer. Hey, Jackie, can I give it a try? If so, like, send me a photo. <laughs> it's really beautiful. It is quite the result. All right. But it sounds kind of annoying to have, like, smeary, oily That's stuff. disgusting. I will never do it again. All right. The other big question that I think listeners would want to know is, tell me about your chemical poisoning in 2012. What did it, how did you get it? What did it do to you? And how did you get out of it? Sure. So I lived in an apartment complex that was pretty small. And we had neighbors across the hall who, um, over the course of a year, we thought just partied way too much. They moved in and they were these like vibrant 21-year-old people. And they moved out and they were like haggard, elderly looking, angry grayed up, just really awful. And we were like, wow, those people have a drug problem. So we moved into their apartment because it was much, much bigger, my ex and I. Um, it was available and it was a three bedroom instead of a one bedroom, no question. What was happening in that apartment that ruined them uh, quickly began ruining us. Um, when you have a stove, you ventilate it out the building. Or you accidentally have people who ventilate it directly into the floorboards. You had toxic mold in that place, not just chemicals. We had no signs and tests. We did. We kept thinking mold. Yeah, as soon as we got sick, we were like, this has to be mold. We had we had floors opened. We had walls okay, open. So there we was had, no mold, even though you there got was the no mold. No, that was that's weird. That was our um, that was our given like presumption was we've got mold. All of our symptoms were super similar to mold poisoning. And there was a weird smell. So um, we made that we made the landlord like tear up the place with cutting chunks wow. out of every palpable thing. We had no less than half a dozen different kinds of testers come out and we just over and over again did not have mold. The what problem was, was not discovered. Um, it was all the combustion byproducts from the faulty stove downstairs. Was it a, commer piping. a commercial stove or? No, just a home stove that was piping directly into our apartment. So, so, so you were breathing some amount, like fried oil residues, polycyclic Well, all the things stuff. that come out of the stove. There's um, carbon monoxide and oh. there are a ton of other combustion byproducts. There's a natural gas that, stove. Yes. Oh, okay, so yeah, there yes. you go. That, that explains it. So yeah, yeah, having a natural gas stove, even one that's properly vented, increases your risk of a few diseases just because you're always breathing a little bit of it. And you were breathing a lot of it. So, okay. 
Yeah, they cooked. They were people who didn't leave the house because whatever was wrong with their stove had long since affected their lives. Yeah. Um, so they were home all the time. And they kept very strange hours and they used the stove to make tea or food or whatever they did like half a dozen times a day minimum. So for my ex, she was working full time and it didn't affect her quite as much because she was out of the house all day. But I was just transitioning out where I had licensed out my food business and I was just doing some private work from home for a couple different people. And I was home a lot, um, as was her cat who died of kidney failure within about six months. Um, and I just became a nutcase and a basket case, and I was an everything case. Um, I gained weight, which uh, I had with the Lyme, and then I'd lost it, and I gained more, and I was starving, and nothing was satisfying, and I could not remember what in the world I did all day yeah. long. And the memory I was from just, chemicals is horrible. And I had, um, I had a migraine that just would not quit no matter what I did. So it was about six months before we got an HVAC person in who found the problem, fixed the problem and said, everything's okay now. And I began going to doctors just to find out what do they suggest I do? I'm not going to try any sort of commercial treatment in all likelihood, but I want to know what's happening here. And I had this very concrete diagnosis of carbon monoxide poisoning from cedar cyanide that made it real. Um, but still doctors were like, wow, you're real lucky to be alive. Okay. They had no idea what to do with me because no one survives carbon monoxide poisoning because you get it and you get it fast and you die. There's no like little bit at a time chronic exposure that tends to happen. Oh, I, so no one had any idea. I know I, um, how to hack this one. What did you do? No. I'm so curious. Like this is, um, this is something you can hack easily. Okay. Tell me about it. It was about six months of being, um, you know, a disaster and There were several things that I did around the same time. Um, And I'm not gonna lie, I love Mexicola avocados. They're my favorite. They are a type of avocado that you eat the skin. And when they are in season at the farmer's market, I don't really eat anything else. (laughs) I will buy a box as large as the farmer will sell me and I will eat dozens a day. So I was eating literally dozens of avocados a day. At the same time as I began- Are you bananas a day guy? <laughs> Only with them, but I have, um, you know, for being a chef, I have some wacky eating habits. I eat most of my food standing at the fridge, bags of lettuce by the handful. Um, but I have this amazing propensity to eat one food for an indefinite amount of time where everyone else is like, Aaron, you have to stop that. You need to eat something else because I just love something and I will, I will eat it until the world kind of makes me stop. Uh, and then as soon as I can go back to it, like when the avocados are in season again, I will eat, I will eat that and nothing else. So I was eating like hordes and hordes of these guys, which are very good for the brain and for rebuilding the fats you need in the brain. At the same time as I began taking a supplement called Magmind, which is magnesium L-threonate. And I actually, I had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's from Cedars. Yeah, um, the Life Extension Foundation has been been selling magnesium threonate. They were the guys who popularized it coming from Japan. Um, I've used that stuff for for quite a while. It's it's amazing just to get mag into the head, right? Yes, exactly. So um, that was the magnesium was the number one thing. Um, From the first time I took the first pill, about an hour later, um, my ex was talking to me and I was like, oh my God, I care. I care about what you're saying. I had empathy. I had spent an entire year with no idea what anyone else was experiencing because I had no idea what I was experiencing. 
And no matter what pain or suffering or trouble or joy or anything anyone expressed to me, I did not give a damn because I couldn't feel anything. And the magnesium like dropped me back into my head in the most incredible way. And it was about three months from there before I felt fully recovered, um, weight came back off. Just from magnesium and healthy fats. Yes. That's pretty incredible. From a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, from a super legitimate Cedars. I mean, it's not like, you know, a crazy naturopath thought I had something. Um, it was all very real and very real documented. And um, I would, it was a couple years ago. I would have put you on, great. on daily, uh, daily doses of, uh, of get some ice cream to get masses of egg yolks into you that are raw. And I would have put you in hyperbaric oxygen every day. I did the hyperbaric oxygen for a month. I did it every day for there a month. Go. And you know that what? That was I, part of your recovery, I think. Um, it was six months before. It oh, happened it right before. when. Okay, cool. It happened right when um, after the poisoning ended. That was yeah. what Cedar said to do. They yeah. said it might not help. Um, and it, um, I got oxygen toxicity oh, from so in, much oxygen you're in for too long. <laughs> for too many times in a row, um, and it likely had some residual effect where I got better so many months later. But at the time, it didn't have an effect. Were you in a metal chamber, like a, a big chamber, or? A zip up like a soft side. Oh no, big one. Okay, yeah. I did like Beverly Hills hyperbaric. Okay, yeah. So the, the big ones it. have more risk of that. The, I have my own hyperbaric chamber, um, which oh, helps cool. recover with uh, with air travel and helps you with cognitive mm -hmm. function for brain training and stuff. But um, yeah, when when you have had chronic carbon monoxide, that's just to keep the brain functioning and all. But they kind of like overdid it. So like, oh, if a little of it's good, yes. a lot of it must be better, and maybe not. Exactly. Have twenty five sessions in a month. So um, I spend a lot of time being really angry and upset because I'd had the Lyme disease and I learned so much from the Lyme disease and I came away from it saying, you know, I'm a much nicer person and I understand what it's like to feel grateful for the fact that your legs don't hurt and you can walk. Why would something else happen to me? And it's really interesting to me because um, I wouldn't take either of them back for anything because even after the Lyme disease, I didn't really feel a sense of purpose. And after the chemical poisoning, I was like, oh, I use food to help people feel better and get well. That's why I'm here. You're, you're such a you're such a classic example of, of this idea that that you're an extremer. You had uh, you had Lyme, and then you had carbon monoxide and other combustion byproduct poisoning. Um, I had Lyme disease. I had toxic mold. I had mercury, uh, and probably a bunch of other weird crap. But when when you look at those things. It, any one of those experiences is going to show you that there are things in the environment that can make you weak without your knowledge or permission, and they're not visible, right? Like, you just don't know. You're yep. like, I feel like crap, and you're a well-educated, knowledgeable person who was raised by, you know, raised in the hippie wilds by people who paid attention <laughs> to these things, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I, I, I'm, my parents didn't raise me that way, but I'm pretty well-educated in that side of things. So, For sure. But both of us are unusual people, and even then, the stuff sneaks up on you. Yes. And the reason that sort of the algorithm for bulletproof everything is like get enough energy, like eat enough of the right kinds of foods, even if they don't have the right micronutrients, avoid stuff that makes you weak, whether it's natural gas byproducts, whether it's mold, whether it's uh, artificial additives to your food or just foods you're allergic to. Just get rid of that crap because they're invisible and they, they suck energy. And, and you and I have both had enough energy sucked out of our brains by various things that it's mm -hmm. very apparent. But a lot of people are walking around with a third less capacity 
potentially than they're capable of having, and they have no idea, and they're eating the wrong foods. And if they get the right foods in, it helps. And they stop the wrong foods, that helps. And then they get rid of all these other environmental things, and all of a sudden, like they're executing at the level that they were meant to. So I, I love it that, that you're able to have that same learning experience that I did. Where you're like, okay, this is what food can do when you're completely wrecked. How many people are walking around only partially wrecked and don't know it? Yes, yeah. exactly. And people like us who, if we only worked preventatively, we wouldn't understand. Yeah. Right. It's one thing you know? to read it in a book. It's another thing to wake up and be like, oh my God, I, I'm pretty sure I know my partner's name. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, five seconds later, it'll come back. <laughs> what did you do today? Well... The dishwasher's open, yeah, so I think right. I might have been either loading it or unloading it. I, I've had meetings. Who's to say? Like meetings at like Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneur times when I was oh, really, God. really poisoned. And it's mm -hmm. like, what did you do today? What happened in the meeting? I'm like, well, I, I added value in a strategic way. Like, I didn't really <laughs> do what I did, right? To be honest, my brain is not working right now, but I can't really tell you because you wouldn't understand. And I don't even understand. Mm -hmm. I just know that I'm trying to think and there, it's not there. Yeah. So. I'm, yes. Cool. Well, well, given that we just talked about chemical poisoning and recovery, we talked about the dangers of, uh, of nightshades when you burn yourself with them, and we talked about uh, some, some of these other things like how you got over Lyme, I want to broaden it from there and get into our final question in the interview, sure. which is, given all this stuff that you know about food and about life, not counting that or including that, but not just counting that, uh, what are the top three things that you'd recommend for someone who came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to be better at everything. Like I want to kick ass at life. What do I need to know? Mm -hmm. Sure. So number one that I tell everyone is pat yourself on the back more often, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, congratulations, you made it. You're here. You've succeeded. So gratitude sounds like Gratitude and, I mean, yes, gratitude for everything, for sure. Okay. Um, but most specifically, be happy with yourself, where you're okay, at. Okay, got it. Congratulate yourself more often. Um, breath work, like kundalini. Mm -hmm. Meditation, obviously, I feel like is a given. Um, but very specifically, even if you don't do, you know, an hour and a half class or anything like that, little couple minute exercises that involve hand positioning and breathing, um, there, I think one of the biggest biohacking things you can do because you're going straight into your nervous system and your immune system and your brain and so many your organs, so many parts of you, and you're reworking them and rewiring them and restructuring them in a matter of moments. Now, you mentioned breathwork and you mentioned kundalini, and a lot of people listening might not know either one. So give me a sure. really quick definition for each one. Sure. Kundalini is a form of yoga that involves more breath work and energy work than normal yoga. Normal yoga, or what we know as normal yoga, like Hatha or Ashtanga, are very um, about poses, the things that you see all the pictures of people doing. Kundalini doesn't tend to do a lot of that. It has some of that, but it focuses much more on making you happy by helping you kind of rechannel everything inside and rework your internal systems. And it does that through combinations of hand and body positions and breathing. And it has you breathe in all kinds of different ways. And I have found that what it does is just a really, really wonderful experience and helpful on so many levels. No matter what your level of health, you can probably do it. Um, or at least a modified version of it involving just the breath work. Um, and it can help make you more well. And if you're well, it can just help make you happier. Um, and then number three, stop complaining. I did that challenge um, 
a year or so ago that was like, try to not complain for a day and your life will change. And I was like, that's nonsense. Um, and you know, I did it for a day and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to complain again. And I make it my point as a person now to always phrase things as constructively as possible. And the energy shift in my life has been enormous. If you don't like something, either find a way to deal with it or find a way to fix it. But the energy you put out is so huge to what you can accomplish in your life. And when you're putting out, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. I don't like my job. I don't like my job. You're just creating more of it. And I think the best things that we can do to make our bodies better and make our lives better is just to find ways to do that rather than to talk about how we don't like where we're at. So if you feel like, oh, I should eat better rather than saying this meal wasn't good enough, be happy with where you're at. You did what you could right now. And instead of saying, I didn't do good enough right now, I didn't do well enough, think, hmm, what am I going to do tomorrow that's going to be a little bit better? Well, thank you, Arian. Uh, thanks for coming on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you so much. Where this was can, a real pleasure. Where can people get info? I, we've already talked about your book, The Bone Broth Miracle, so people can certainly pick up your book. But what website would you like them to go to to learn more about your work? Sure. So um, my website is ariancooks.com, A-R-I-A-N-E-C-O-O-K-S.com. I do more than cook, but it's kind of the go-to. Um, my Twitter is Ariane Resnick and my Facebook is Chef Ariane Resnick. And then my book is available on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, uh, an assortment of bookstores, and it's in libraries, which I love. That was like the biggest accomplishment to me was when I Googled where the book was and I was like, oh, I'm in libraries. It's such so, an awesome feeling. I love that. I love the sharing aspect of it. Well, thanks again for being on the show. And I'm looking forward to hanging out with you at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in L.A. the next time I'm down there because it's going to be open. Hooray. Thank you. Thank you. I am um, doing a workshop at your conference, so I'll meet you in October. When you come to the Bulletproof Conference, by the way, go to bulletproofconference.com to hear more. October 23rd through 25th in Los Angeles, you're going to hang out with hundreds of people who care about how they feel, how they think as much as you do. You're going to hear from world-leading experts and Ariane is going to be leading a workshop at the conference. So if you'd like to learn from experts like her, as well as Brendan Burchard, Daniel Amen, guys like that, it's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be amazing. The third annual one, and I promise you that you're going to get to play with stuff, big things that hack your biology. You're not just going to hear from experts. You're going to actually touch things and feel things and hack yourself, and you'll walk away a better person, I promise. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services.
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.